unless he learns that his actions are a tag that will be stuck on every airman. A character like Braggart, Brawler, Deadbeat, and would-be Casanova presents a tough problem to the Air Force. They've learned the hard way about the kind of damage he can do, and they're showing him also the hard way that he won't be allowed to go on doing it. Some characters can only learn the hard way. I'm Nikki Renee, and you're listening to Longest War. Thank you for joining us. On this episode, we have Nikki Renee, Air Force veteran. Hi, Nikki. You joined the military. How old were you, and what led you to choose the Air Force over other branches? I was 19. I turned 20 in basic training. It actually took me about three years to decide on the Air Force, and it was because my older brother went in. Three years because I kept going back and forth. I don't really like to be told what to do, but at the same time I thought, okay, well, this is an opportunity to get out of my hometown and have money for school and have a job and all those other fancy benefits. So ultimately, I kind of slacked on applying for any type of scholarship, so I just like, well, maybe the Air Force might be the best bet. Right. And I guess that's why. Oh, and... I've always been considered really girly, so um, going to the Air Force was sort of my attempt to prove that I'm not as girly or as my certain family members would perceive me as, as sort of girly weak. So fortunately, I was I made it through. And You said get out of your hometown. Where's that? Uh, Casa Grande uh, in Arizona. Arizona. Okay. It sounds really hot. <laughs> it is really hot. That's why I don't like the heat. <laughs> I'm, I've met my quota for life. I'm good. <laughs> Where did you do basic? Um, it was in Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Also hot? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't escape it. No. And I actually went in when it was really, really hot, like towards the end of the summer, going on to you know, fall, winter. And um, it got a little bit better, but I still hated it. Yeah. How long was basic? I hear people say six weeks for the Air Force. I'm like, damn, I should have gone to the Air Force. Well, basic training for me at that time was for the Air Force is six weeks, but for me, it was maybe an additional four weeks longer because I had a really hard time passing my sit-ups because whenever I did it, I my tailbone, this is going to maybe be TMI, but my tailbone would like, it would start to bleed. Oh. And it would hurt so oh much. God. So I have like this little like layer of skin coming off every time. This sounds so gross. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, coming off every time I would try to do sit-ups and it would just make it that much harder. So they put me into fit flight. Um, which is just an extension with basic training. And I realized that it was actually just making it harder for me as uh, the technique that I was doing it at. And when another training instructor told me how to do it properly, I actually ended up passing and graduating the following week. So you just weren't doing the sit-ups right in the right technique. Apparently not. <laughs> but I was being told to do like have my legs closer to like my, my butt, I mm-hmm. guess, um, to limit the distance that I had, but I was actually just putting more strain on everything else other than my legs, So, which I should have been using. It's I learned a lot (laughs) of basic (laughs) fitness techniques. So 10 weeks and um, a chapped ass. Yeah. (laughs) Got out of boot camp. But I was like the best shape I've ever been in my life. Yeah. And never will be. (laughs) I was, yeah, right. I'll never see, like how I was, I was was 17, you said you were 19, right? Yeah. I will never see that body again. That's long gone. Yeah. I mean, it was nice when I had it. So I could look back on it. Right. At least there's proof. Yeah, exactly. I I tried. (laughs) Uh, What was your job? What did you train for after a boot camp? The job I got stuck with was uh, services. 
basically customer service in the military. Anything from food, from lodging to fitness, recreational stuff. I did not choose it. Kind of got stuck with it by my recruiter. Mm -hmm. He used to play on words. I believed him. So I had that for the first four and a half years I was in, and then I applied for a job that actually got me to New Jersey, from Louisiana to New Jersey. And I didn't think I was gonna get this job, but they needed people from all different um, other squadrons. And um, I was a cadre for deployment readiness squadron for those who were going to deploy in Air Force, but we're gonna stay inside defense, but it was worst case scenario. So the job I got stuck with was how to train uh, airmen how to egress out of a Humvee, like a vehicle on a like a deployment run in case it got hit by an IED. And this is something I've never done. I went from working in the kitchen and working at lodging to doing this. So it wasn't a really sophisticated setup, I would say, but it was fascinating to be a part of a squadron like that, to be honest. It right. Was, it was really fascinating. Well, they had to give you some kind of training. I mean, I wouldn't know how to, I'd be like, I open the door and get I out. Mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they did, but it was so, the squadron in particular to me was just filled with a bunch of alpha males or wannabe alpha males. But uh, so it was a lot of pressure to be on this level, even when you just got there. And that's sort of the downfall of this particular squadron. It was run by a lot of like security forces, cops in the Air Force. So they already had like an ego issue. Mm-hmm. I want to get no, hit. No, we heard time. about that. We, we interviewed an Air Force veteran, right, Nick, the other day. And he was security forces. And, you know, he described similar. We've heard that from a couple of people now about like the Air Force security guys. And that, that. I mean, obviously... You're not a psychic, right? But, like, do you feel that maybe part of that is all of the shit that the rest of the branches talk about the Air Force? So, like, these guys feel like... Because, like, we're always degrading. Uh, It's loving, at least on our end, right? I guess if you're taking the brunt of it, it's not very loving. But, like, we always talk so much shit, like Army and Marines, about the Air Force. Do you think that's maybe like, um, like something to prove. overcompensating yeah. a little, uh, maybe? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Just because, um, I mean, the Air Force gets... It gets a lot of, can I say shit? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah you say can speak you freely. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it, the Air Force gets a lot of shit for being the chair force, and in some, to a certain extent, that's true. But we also have a lot of luxuries that the other branches don't have. Um, but at the same time, when you think of the military, you think of, like, gun-ho and, like, dryheads or something of that nature, civilians anyways. And I think security forces wants to, because they're the ones who are meant to guard, and they're the ones who get to have a weapon on them all the time, and... I think they try to make up for that, like, stereotype of the Air Force by being a bunch of jackasses. The squadron I was actually part of, too, what made it a little bit more alpha male territory was um, it hosted and trained um, the Ravens, which is sort of the upscale security forces um, that you apply to be a part of, and they teach you, like, hand-to-hand combat and all this really fascinating stuff, um, which ultimately all they really do is just guard a plane when it lands somewhere, and, mm-hmm. and that's about it. I hate saying that because they're so okay. they were so serious about being part of the Ravens, and but at the same time, you're in a squadron with the Ravens, but also with all these other members who are not security forces, who did intel right. or did shipping or supply and or services, like my job. And so the mix was just, to me, it was obvious, and the fact that they ran it was just there was no structure that was, I would say, it was working. It was just who had the biggest dick. <laughs> I don't think, anyways. That's that's <laughs> funny that you say, like, the Ravens. Because I remember those guys. Like, when I'd be in Afghanistan and we lived on this airfield at the time. And C-130s would come in and these dudes with guns would get off and, like, stand there and stare at you. Yeah. And it's like, 
what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> what are you, like, I've got a gun too. Like, we're all, you've got the army, the yeah. Marines, we're all here. <laughs> Who are you, are you guarding it from us? Like, we didn't understand. Like, you think we're going to, like, yeah. rush the plane? And that's the joke that I hear from everybody who's not Air Force or not, like, or who have um, any experience with Ravens is that it's almost comical because everybody else on that plane is probably, like, Marines or uh, the army and, like you said, they also have your own gun. So it's, I don't know. Like, I don't know any more about the Ravens other than that. They just had a really big head. And some of the stuff they did, like, training-wise was pretty cool. Yeah. But the ego, ultimately, that's kind of what encouraged me to make the decision to get out of the Air Force just because I fucking hated it. I hated that dynamic of just being talked down to. And then I made staff sergeant maybe about six months before I decided to get out. And which is an E5. <laughs> oh, God. It's been a while, right? Yeah. Uh, an E5, because I realized staff sergeants like an E6 in other branches. But still, like, people started talking to me with a little bit more respect. And I hated that even more, because despite how much work I put into my job, I still, the rank, I, I, I hate the title. I hate the label. I hate that that justified me of having any amount of respect, which is something that kind of trails on even after the military when you're talking to civilians. Because I bartended for a little while, and when people asked me what brought me to Philadelphia and go into the whole, like, story of, well, I was stationed in New Jersey, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly, that's when they respect me more, despite the fact that I was still serving them a drink. I hate people sometimes. <laughs> right. Serving in, in, a, that the fucking truth. in just a different <laughs> capacity. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're in the military? Did you ever shoot anybody? I'm like, really? not yet. <laughs> <laughs> About to start with you. You spitting that rum and coke, huh? I bet you did. <laughs> uh, I was actually really good at my job. I just... Except for flirting with people and letting them like believe that I was going to sleep with them, because right. that was another thing I mastered in the Air Force, <laughs> in the military, is like talking to so many of the opposite sex and letting them know that no, I did not want to sleep with you, just because I happen to have. Sorry, there's children pressing their faces up against the window. Hey, I really now I'm kind of embarrassed with what I was just saying. No, they, 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 they can't can. hear you. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're in like a sound barrier here. Okay. So that brings up an interesting point. Like, were, were you treated differently as a woman in oh, that squadron? Yeah. Absolutely. I guess um, not in a good way. Not necessarily because I was, I guess it, it kind of reflected back on when I, one of the reasons why I decided to join the military um, when I was younger is that I grew up in a family, a big Hispanic family where I was just had a lot of, there was a lot of cousins that were males. And I was one of the only girls and I was the girly girl um, as opposed to a couple other tomboys of my cousins. And that was kind of the whole being treated girly and weak in sort of the same category. And being in that squadron kind of brought all those stuff back to that realization is that there are other females in that squadron, of course, but they either were in there already for a while or they are a little bit more authoritative. And I was, I mean, I could get the job done, but I wasn't really good at yelling. I actually remember this. I was trying to train this group that came in and, and teach um, from anywhere from like A1C all the way up to like, lieutenant colonels it was colonels actually and um i remember trying to be authoritative to this group that had a lieutenant colonel in it and he uh and because maybe i wasn't yelling or maybe because i wasn't being aggressive but he talked down to me in, in just the middle of me trying to get whatever i was gonna say and it was but he interrupted you he just he he spoke to me in a condescending manner and when you do that in front of a bunch of other students that i'm supposed to be in charge of i kind of lose that accountability all across the board because well this lieutenant colonel doesn't respect this 
non-aggressive type of person who's still teaching you the right. pieces that you're supposed to teach. And it got to some points where it's degrading. And that's not, that's just the students, not even just the people I was working with. Right. Those people suck too. <laughs> <laughs> you said something about Louisiana. I was stationed in Louisiana for four and a half years at Barkstall Force Space. That fucking sucked, I'm sure. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so I'm from Alabama and I've been to several rotations at Fort Polk in Louisiana uh, and it is just disgusting. Yeah. The people are gross. Most of them, not everybody. There's some cool Louisiana people, so don't like shoot me, Louisiana right. folks. <laughs> I like LSU. I'm still a fan. But yeah, it's, it's a gross state. It's, it's, uh, the worst part is, is like I lived like five minutes from where I went to work and even being cleaned and ready for, to take on my job, I'd walk out and I'd be sweating by the time I got to my job. And that sucks so much. It like you, you seriously could never escape the heat. Like we got, we no. got Arizona, then we got Texas, is, then we got Louisiana. Which is why I have a personal distaste for it. <laughs> Were you ever deployed in your, in I, your service? I did deploy once. Um, maybe all that heat was prepping you for this deployment. It actually wasn't. I It wasn't that bad. It oh. was more dry heat where I was stationed at. And it wasn't, it was like four months long. So it wasn't. Okay. Do you want to share with us about that or no? I'll, I'll share the good parts about it. Sure. It was actually at United Arab Emirates. Uh-huh. And it was, I was stationed at um, Abu Dhabi. I've seen the pictures of like the beautiful hotels that the oh, Air Force yeah. got to stay it in was, in UAE. Well, we still stayed on, it was an Air Force base, but it was within another base, which I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> so not a lot of people knew that there was uh, American military there because it was so small. But once a month, we got to have our leisure time and then go off uh, base and, you know, be incognito and um, go to the beach or something. And I remember I was really amazed. I'm like, am I really deployed here? Because <laughs> on the base, it was just all dirt. It was all flat. It was very secluded, very just almost claustrophobic. But off off base, it was amazing. In fact, one of the times we, um, this in, uh, trip that I sort of signed up for was to go to Dubai and we went to a water park and then later that day we went to this mall that had an indoor snowboarding like or oh skiing gosh. rink and so I went to a water park in the same day that I went snowboarding which was pretty fucking cool that, that's <laughs> so, definitely it sounds like a positive high great memory yeah from being over there it had some good good times despite one major uh downfall of that deployment right you, that was four months long, so at least you kind of were. It wasn't, you know. I think a typical deployment's like nine, twelve months. Oh yeah, I mean, after that, I think not not long after that, I think Air Force switched to having the shortest deployment of six months. Were you doing training over there in the UAE as well, like your job? I was working in the kitchen. In the kitchen. And the main dining facility, which is what the Air Force calls it, everybody else calls it the chow hall. Mm-hmm. Oh, defect. We call it defect. Oh, okay. See, yeah. that sounds. Oh, that's what defect yeah. stands for. I was always. Yeah. <laughs> dining facility. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I was working there and then they moved me to where I was working on a flight line, uh, in that kitchen area, which was actually kind of cool. And, uh, it was a portable metal thing, which doesn't sound cool, but I guess it just sounded more like a deployment for me. So I kind of got to indulge in that. And it was attached to this big tent that I forgot the name of. Right. Wow. It's like a big trailer, right? Temper tent. Is that what it's called? Um, but what? It's like a big trailer. Yeah. And it's got like the sinks and all this this stuff in there. Actually. And but they can move it. It's yeah. portable. Yeah. It was just, just huge. It's hot as fuck in there. Yeah. Imagine like having like the ovens and stoves on oh in this God. little area out in the heat. Good times. I don't miss it. <laughs> Total how many years altogether? You said eight? 
seven. seven. I was actually, I signed up for six. And for in order for me to get the job that I got in uh, New Jersey, I had to extend for like 11 months. So six years, 11 months, I round it. Right. Off. Yeah, <laughs> I do the same thing. I yeah. totally understand. We got to talk a little bit on the phone in preparation for today's podcast. And I know that you, you know, you have some great memories, but you also have some challenges that you had to overcome. Um, while you were serving and I know um, how important it is to me and to you you know to kind of get the word out about anyone who has experienced those same challenges that hear our voices told you it's going to go fast yeah right we're like in a time warp in here so I want to make sure um, if you're still comfortable to kind of go there if you want to sure so I don't know if if you want to start during your transition like after you got out or if you want to start kind of with the incident you know, it really, however you want to, however you want to share, whatever your message is to other female veterans who may stumble upon this podcast. Okay. Well, I was saying earlier how my deployment wasn't entirely great. Right. And uh, it's because I had um, a stalker. And this person, about a year before that, it was actually 10 years ago at the Air Force Ball, which happened recently. So it's was nice. the 10-year aniv- anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was my first a year in the military, and I really wanted to indulge in all the things. So um, the Air Force Ball was coming about. I really wanted to go, and a friend I was supposed to go with um, ended up deploying about a week earlier. And this other person who I referred to as my stalker, um, I don't like to say his name, he was my mentor, and he couldn't, and he sort of involved into my friend. And I was telling him about it, and he offered to be the one to take me. I was like, sure. I mean, I can't see why not. So we went, and I was 20 at this time. And mind you, I just I turned 20 in basic, so this really was the first year. And um, he decided, because I was so nervous being in a room full of all these different ranks in such a, just a massive place, that he offered to get me a drink. And he got me everything from, there was champagne, there was wine, there was peach snops, there was tequila, which is why I'm not a fan. And I, there was even another drink at the end that, because I brought a camera, and he, he actually took a picture of me passed out on a table with another full drink that he got me. <laughs> and he took me back to my dorms on base, and which was like three flights up, and because um, I needed help to walk up there because I couldn't walk on my own, and I could just remember flashes, and he didn't leave. And the next day, I was in pain where I shouldn't have been in pain, mm-hmm. and I was throwing up, and I was in denial. I was immediately in denial of what happened, but he still played that nice guy card, and I felt, I just, I felt, I didn't know how I felt. I didn't know if I was supposed to be angry. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. I didn't know because he was being so nice. Did I, I'm just, I just didn't know. So for months, from September to about Christmas time, I just never occurred to use that word of being raped. And um, it wasn't until he got me a supposedly $300 necklace um, for Christmas and led people, well, up to that point, people just assumed we were having an affair because of the way he was acting towards me, and that's not at all what I wanted. I'm, I hated it. <laughs> um, but no NCO intervened and stepped in and tried to say, like, hey, um, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing anything, but I need help because right. I didn't know how to respond to this. I didn't know how to respond to his behavior or any of that because I just did not know. But that diamond necklace, it was a diamond necklace, pushed me over the edge, and I spoke to a chaplain. And I think the thing that I want to express the most out of all this is that that day when I spoke to that chaplain, he contacted a um, a sexual uh, advocate person, Mm -hmm. and she asked me if I wanted to go restricted or non-restricted 
and you know reporting this restricted is it's stayed within this realm and small little group but it's on paper so to speak and in non-restricted is where your leadership knows and it goes into like this whole legal thing and but she gave me this story that happened in supposedly California about this girl who was gang raped in the military and she lost in this court battle thing and that was such a discouragement for me I'm like I because I waited months to say anything like it might make it seem like I was prompting this and I was asking for this so I said no we'll do restricted and I sought out therapy I started dating this other person which when I was dating this other person, my stalker made it seem like he was threatening him. And it was just this whole crazy mess. And eventually he got moved to working somewhere else without my leadership really knowing anything other than the fact that he makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then I got, you know, a, my deployment assignment that following um, summer. And uh, he was my lead on the plane there, on the flight there. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try to be the bigger person and just be civil and, well, you know that saying, you give somebody an inch, they take a mile? Mm-hmm. He took a fucking marathon. <laughs> and he saw an opportunity to be back, like, just trying to redeem himself or whatever. And and I'm just stupid. So I try to be, again, civil just to make this deployment worth having. Because when he was my mentor, he actually gave me really bad advice. And I was not being an outstanding airman because of the advice he gave me so i was trying to redeem myself on this deployment and that's brave i mean just to cut in real i mean that is uh, seriously to even just say i mean not to turn around and say fuck this i'm not going anywhere if this guy's leading me again because he was your mentor in the first place yeah and you know so i mean kudos to you for even pursuing that deployment i mean that's amazing i i still feel very naive so that's the first i've ever heard it being referred to as brave at least uh in my mind and I just, I felt stupid because he, um, it was a small base and he would, there's times where I was in an office and I was doing like paperwork or something and he would come in there and I would want to leave, but he wouldn't let me leave. He wouldn't let me leave. He would actually hold me within this office so I could talk to him or so he could talk to me. He'd write me letters that he shouldn't have been writing. He was clever about it because he didn't put his name on it, but he said things that he shouldn't have been saying like, you know, and he ended up writing me this like 30 question list that had questions within questions and it was really inappropriate stuff like if I wasn't married or if I was younger or blah 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 this and that and I'm like are you fucking kidding me strange shit yeah I am and I'm like in my head I'm like I'm this is what I'm tolerating right now this is what I'm saying is okay he did something almost a year ago and I'm letting it be okay for him to give me this stupid fucking letter and ultimately that's when I um made a report because he actually stalked me (laughs) he made this one particular night where he somehow managed to get drunk which at a deployment were limited (laughs) and not at least maybe get like two drinks it's not enough to get drunk it's not to the point where he was so he's he was fucking up in other ways on that deployment but he was drunk and he followed me to my dorm and wouldn't let me go into my dorm and he just and he and I was trying to go around an other building, and I saw him take off to kind of intervene, and I just like ended up finding one of my army buddy friends to be my bodyguard. But that still didn't stop him from coming up to try to just harass me, and it, that was ultimately the the limit for me at that point. So I reported to him and how he was stalking me, and there was a no contact order that he violated several times, anyways. And but this was a non when you reported him this time, it was not well, not restricted anymore. No, it was still restricted because. The stalking was, and all what he was doing at deployment was different from uh-huh. the actual 
rape. So all people knew is that he was being highly inappropriate and harassing me and actually harassing others to harass me. Right. So he was getting known across just our squadron of being this highly inappropriate person, but not everybody knew about the other thing. Mm-hmm. So I was just his main target. But he got into enough trouble to where he wasn't allowed to take the flight back with us when we were coming back to Louisiana, which was great. So when I got back, uh, there was another no contact order. And at that time, a whole different world of experience kind of hit me. And that's an entirely different story. But when you said earlier, you want the message that you mainly wanted to get out and because you said it and then you went into some really awesome oh. you know, detail about your story. But were you going to say, I encourage if it happens to you while you're in to do a non-restricted report? Yes, because I, I felt like that's what you were going to say. I found out because it is my intent to share my story as best as I can um, because I learn things when I do share it. And I found out when I was speaking on this panel at my school for this Women's Veterans Forum and I was talking about my rape, um, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, they do that intentionally. They try to encourage you to do a restricted report because if you do non-restricted, that brings bad attention on the military. Mm-hmm. And I was and that, to me, seems so obvious now, but I was so angry because it was another woman, a victim mm-hmm. advocate person. She was a major telling mm-hmm. me to not take this step forward. Do you know, I, when I reported my rape, we were undergoing change of command. So my master chief on the ship was a woman. And I was like, oh, thank God, she's going to understand. I'm going to go, and guess what? She didn't do shit about it. Then there was a change of command, and an African-American male took the, her place. And my rapist was an African-American male, and he listened to me. And he's the one who got me, you know, help yeah. that I needed. And it's unreal. And and we don't want to say by any means. And also, I want to stress, when you were saying he had a reputation across the squadron, this was like, it sounds like the singled out shit bag. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this was happening. It was not pervasive. It wasn't like there's this. the military is full of rapists or anything like that. These were like isolated dirtbag incidents where these guys just should not be in. They don't have any place in the fucking military. I actually learned, well, when he was still my friend mentor, he would tell me about his time when he was in Japan and how there's this other airman who accused him of all these other things. And I was sympathetic to him at that time. It's like, that sounds really unfortunate. And then looking back on it now... It could have very have well been the same situation. And what pisses me off even more is that I part of why I want to share it is that he was still in. And when I left Louisiana, he was still there. I mean, he got himself into trouble in his own, you know, whatever. But there's a chance that he could have done this again. And I think that's the part that, that drives me crazy because what I experienced, nobody should have experienced that. No. If that major didn't... And I want to call her a major because that's a position of power. Right. I mean, you're a victim advocate person, yes, but at the same time, you should have known better. And you told me to do a restricted report. And ultimately, that decision in that moment right there changed so much. I did. Did you? And you said he's still. I, the only place I have my full name is on LinkedIn, on, on social media. And LinkedIn lets you know when somebody views your profile. And his name popped up. A few months ago, a couple months after finding out that my cousin was murdered. So it wasn't in particularly a great place. And I've been in a pretty dark, deep depression up until about May, June th- this year. Now I'm just sort of dealing with a lot of anxiety, which I think is obvious. But um, just the fact that even 10 years later, I have no mutual friends with him. So that means he it's actually... obvious that lo- he's like single, like he's, he's looking on there for you. So he knows where I'm living. He knows what school, even though I'm taking a break this semester. He, and I hate 
that he knows anything about me. Yeah. So what what you're doing right now is, and I know it doesn't feel like that way right now. I can re- I remember the first time I shared about it with a microphone and headphones. It, like I was so nervous. It, like I feel like my teeth in the back of my mouth were like eating my tongue, and like I couldn't stop that feeling. It was like overwhelming. And I just want you to know that getting every time you get it out, like you said, you spoke on a panel before. It takes a little bit of the hurt away every single time because yeah. you're getting. And so what you're doing right now is healthy and therapeutic. The mission of the Veterans Breakfast Club is to promote healing by sharing your story. So you're not only healing like internally, but, you know, like you said, if he, if there's other asshole dirtbags out there still doing this kind of shit, you're another female hears this. They're going to understand. I need to do a restrict. I need to do a non-restricted report. And you don't even understand probably the breadth of your power through sharing your story in so yeah. many ways. I, ha- I have to say, too, that there are going to be people still against you when you make that mm-hmm. report. And I, and I hate that because that's the part that discourages people too because you're already feeling vulnerable and weak yeah. and not sure of yourself. But there are so many NCOs that could have intervened so many times they didn't because mm-hmm. they just thought that, well, they were just having an affair or something and that pissed right. me off because that's discrediting me as a person because I would never want to be that person. Exactly. And when there's alcohol, like in my rape, there was also alcohol involved. Yeah. So they just thought, oh, yeah, she's a whore. She's a fucking drunk whore. She deserved it. She got, she's, she's you know, sleeping with the chief, you yeah. know, because she wants um, whatever to get, you know, perks at work or whatever it is, the bullshit rumors that come spinning out of control, yeah. which hurt worse almost than you know having to deal with the actual rape because you're like no you know i'm still sucking it up i'm going on deployment i'm getting up dressing up showing up doing my job serving my country and i'm still dealing with this fuck you and your rumors you know i'm not i'm not like that's not that's not what happened so there's not there's more there's not much support and then there's even more yeah almost like conspiracy like with the rumors and confusion and it like adds fuel to the fire i feel like it makes it worse it does and it it carries on to other parts of your life too because being in a work environment where it was mostly men males and then having that sort of stigma of just you involved in one person even just casually and then somehow it's crossed the board of you being something else that you're not because you just happen to be one of very few females or somebody else flirts with you because you're one of you know it's just there's no winning really and mm-hmm. you go into the civilian world and you still have that sort of mentality that you're stuck with and then when you live in society that we're living in right now you know grab her by the Percy kind of world <laughs> it fucking sucks <laughs> it sucks everywhere and it's exhausting yeah I'm exhausted and uh, I'm sorry. It's going to get, I promise you, on my life, I can promise you, like, on my life, it's going to get better little by little by little. The more that you start, you know, share and the more that you come out, you know, and start to try to trust your fellow vets again, um, it's going to get better little by little. I want to ask you something. Um, I didn't get a rape kit the next morning, and it doesn't sound like you did either. That screwed everything up for me because then it started to be like a he said, she said type of thing. We talked uh, a little bit about this in preparation for this interview. So looking back, I mean, would you tell, would you say like you think you, I mean, would it have made any difference, do you think? I, I think, it, I don't know, because consensual, you know what I mean? Like I, what, if they did find semen on me, like what would that have made it? Oh, you know what I mean? A rape, would that have proved anything? You I, know what I mean? Like what is, because they say, oh, you didn't get a rape kit. You're full of shit. You're, li- you know, you're a liar. You're just, I don't really know how much value there is to that. Dude, that adds to the whole stigma of it all because I was in denial. Yeah. I, I was in denial mostly because I experienced something similar when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to believe that I let something like this happen to me again. 
as an adult, as somebody who was making her own decisions. And so when it happened, I, I didn't want to believe it. So it's hard to say, like, now if something was to happen, and yeah, I would go and do all that and have text messages and stuff like that to prove that I didn't leave anything on and all this other things. Like, now I know, but not knowing and being, as what the chaplain called me, to caring for my own good, it's hard. It's hard to distinguish what to do or if what would make a difference when you've never experienced anything like that to that extent before. Right. I did, you wanted to believe that it wouldn't happen again because when I was younger, I didn't have any, I don't, there was no control there. I'm sorry to chime in. Like, how old were you the second time? In the Air Force? 20. So you were just a kid then, too. I feel like, and this is just me, right? I feel like these fucking pieces of shit should be called out at every opportunity. So, like, what's the reason, or what's the motivation to not want to, like, say his name and put it out there? Like, not call him out? I guess I just don't want to give him the satisfaction of having his name come out of my mouth. But there really is nothing stopping me from actually seeing him specifically, his name. I just... Are you scared still? I am so scared. I am so, so scared. Do you think he would, like, do you think he would come after you? Well, after the second no-contact order, when we were actually stateside and back at our base, I had nightmares that he would come in this other job that I had where I was working night shifts, and I was often sometimes by myself, that he would show up like he did randomly and like he has before and not let me leave or just something. Even though the initial rape wasn't aggressive, I don't really remember, I was drunk, but I just was, I was terrified. And I I guess I still am to a certain extent because for me to have such a response to the fact that I saw his name pop up on my screen, oh, I really hate him. Yeah, and also, I think... I fucking hate him. I, I don't know the guy, but I... Exactly. I want to beat the shit out of this but guy like, right whoever, now. Whoever this major was who told her, no, do it do it restricted, do it restricted. So it was like this fear, not wanting to say his name, give him this, you know, put it... And, and also this ass, this stupid bitch telling you to do it restricted. Like, I can't even think of a, a name that's... the You know what I mean? For her. But because she just ruins the whole bond as a as a females that we were supposed to have especially that are serving yeah and even more so she gave me the impression that I could trust her and rely on her and realize that years later that she was doing the worst possible thing she was not yeah and a lot of times the rapes are from you know um like chiefs you know people that are higher up than you from and they get like they make you like them, confide in them, trust yeah. them, right? Just like mine. I'm going to take my shipmate back to the ship. No, you're not. You're going to take me to the Navy Lodge and rape me when I'm passed out of my own vomit on the sidewalk and you got to pick me. You know what I mean? Disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting violation of trust. And to have that come from a female when you're sitting there trying to bear your soul onto a piece of paper, that's not okay. That's not okay. And you've endured this and you're here to talk about it today. And I, you need to like, you're going to you're gonna continue to grow and you're going to continue to to grow in your ability to talk about this, but you have blown my mind away today with your strength. Seriously. I mean, I know how hard it is. It takes a lot of courage to do this. A serious amount. And I had a pineapple beer when I did mine because Nick had this uh, <laughs> space. We were to school today. We happened to be at a veteran owned brewery in Pittsburgh when I did mine. So you don't even have any, you know what I mean? You don't, you're just here, you know, you showed up and, and you spilled your heart for us and you're so brave for that. And just know that. I love you for it. That's you're amazing. 
I'm so sorry this all went down for you. I really am. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. When you're around other men, you find out they're vets. Do you feel more comfortable around them or less so? I think initially I feel being a civilian and I'm realizing how different it is. It's being in the military is one entirely different world and being in a civilian is an entirely different world. I never realized there's going to be that much of a difference. So when I come across another veteran, it's almost like, oh, hey, then we got something to talk about because generally I am pretty optimistic most of the time. But I guess if they say or do certain things that make them sound like on a conversation in politics and that nature, then I start to sort of question their integrity mm-hmm. or just things in that nature. And I don't immediately peg them into that corner, but at the same time, I I think perspective is everything. Try, try to sit and have a conversation where I offer perspective. And if they're so stubborn to not want to hear it, then mm-hmm. I've made up my mind about who they are as a person and... So you don't just say, oh, you're a veteran. You know, well, let's be best friends, right? It's, no. all, it's about the integrity of the person. It's about the character, their beliefs, yeah. how they treat you. Because with the veteran, I mean, the thing about veterans is that we're all still our own person. We all wore, you know, uniform to look, you know, uniformed. But we're still incredibly different. And I think people forget that. There's still personality there. There's still characteristics. I mean, that last squadron I was with that was all, you know, alpha males was proof enough of that because everybody had their strengths mine wasn't yelling at a group of people to tell them to do this and do that that wasn't my strength to have that expectation of me because others did was unfair but I had other strengths I had ways of speaking or even teaching you know things that I was confident that I knew but they didn't utilize that because even the higher-ups leadership just they morph themselves to think that everybody should be this one way and I feel like you fell your squadron or whoever you're leading when you think that way and I know it's military blah blah you have it you know all the same mission but at the same time you can still get to that mission by acknowledging that hey you're still a fucking person yeah yeah they try to like put you everyone's trust like the military they categorize you right like yeah everyone they try to make you fit their mold yeah and like we're as veterans we're not a monolith right like I'm from Alabama, went to an evangelical church, but I'm liberal as shit, right? Lawrence from the North didn't go to evangelical church as it's conservative, you know what I mean? Like, we, they, we don't fit into these healthy little boxes that people assume we do just because of wherever we're from or what experience we have or what, like, our job has been, so. Or even how we look, too. Yeah. I grew up in a household where it was, well, my mom was... A Democrat and my dad was Republican and I just always had open mind same thing with religion like we were never forced to go to church even though we were Catholic but I I pursued those things on my own and now I've come to the realization that I'm agnostic after many many just experience of my own of going to different churches and things of that nature and then I'm not denying that nothing exists I'm just saying like from my experience mm-hmm. I'm leaving it up in the air yeah, and you've made your own decision, right? Like yeah. it's not like you just believe what your parents believe, yeah. because that's how it's supposed to be. Even though I'm not really tan right now, I'm Hispanic, so people may assume that I'm. It's because you don't like the heat, so you don't go out in the sun much, right? <laughs> You're done. And with I'm it. okay with be, you know, like I'm gonna not get skin cancer, so it's okay. But um, do you have a disability for MST PTSD? I do. Yes. Do you use the services at the VA? Yes. I do. I, I you feel comfortable going in there? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I guess it depends on the day. It, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel guilty going in because yeah. you see like older veterans, you see 
their injury, their disability. Yeah. And it's it sucks because you, you know that there's a stigma with mental illnesses that you know people don't take it seriously because you can't see it. But then that's the thing that drives you crazy is because I don't want to go around and seem like I'm whining because I have clinical depression and complex PTSD or whatever, and you can't see it. So am I even allowed to be in this room because I'm not, I could actually walk from here to there on my own without help. I mean, it, there's a sense of guilt there and that just makes everything, dealing with everything that much challenging and hard and isolating even. Yeah, for a while I totally felt not worthy. I was like, dude, this guy's missing an arm. This guy's been fucking war three times. Yeah. What am I doing here? What am I even doing here? And for a long time, like I got told when I got out, do this, go to the VA. Mom, my mom and I went. We, you know, I wrote, had to tell them the whole story, you know, details, everything. And they said, get over there, get your service connected. I even went when I was still on the ship and like reported. But you know, for the longest time, it was on paper and the money was coming into my account, the disability money. And I went to the VA. I still did not believe that. I had PTSD. I didn't believe it. And I actually, probably up until like less than a year ago, it was my fault. It was my fault because I I imbibe those drinks. It was my fault because the flashes that I have in my head don't seem like, you know, a rape you'll see on a, on a shitty mo- Lifetime movie. You know what I mean? Um, it wasn't. It's not. Sometimes and most of the time, the ones it's not, it's not textbook. There's nothing textbook about these situations. And all for, for me, it just took a long, it just took time. And it took a really good doctor and uh, went through many at the VA, you know, until it's like keep digging for shit until you hit gold there. You just got to like keep hoping that you get a good one. And she really helped me to understand this was a rape and not that I'm a victim, you know, like a victim mentality, but you were a victim of a rape and this could result in PTSD. And that just took me a long time to, and to still be okay and still be a whole person and, and contribute to society and serve my community. Um, and be able to, as our buddy said the other day, take my hand and put it into the darkness to grab someone else's, like maybe today yours. And just that little tiny bit took me a long time to get there. You know, I didn't know how I was going to react. You know what I mean? Like hearing you and seeing you like at one point when I saw you get upset, I just wanted to be like, fuck this, turn off these, turn off everything. Cause I felt your pain. Like I totally understand. I mean, this was um, incredible. And I just, I really encourage you to keep doing whatever works for you in your recovery. Can I ask one more thing? Of course, yeah. So how do you feel about the idea of uh, post-traumatic growth? General Mattis is really big on that, right? So like, I know that you were the victim of something, but you obviously, like you get up every morning, you put one foot in front of the other, there's still pain there, there's still trauma there, but you haven't let an incident of being a victim define the person that you are. And like, you, I, I don't know if you consciously are aware of this but at least subconsciously you have to understand that like you're tougher than 99 percent of people out there because you've endured this and you haven't let it completely consume you and you still live your life like do you consciously know that you're like so much stronger than the average bear you know what i mean i definitely absolutely positively try there was even a point a few years ago where i started to post these small joys in life like just statuses on Facebook and just listing all the small things that happened in my day that I was really happy, you know, just just to be appreciative because I know from my experience that things could be so much fucking worse. Every single day could be so much worse. And so I've always been sort of optimistic, either just 
naturally or intentionally. And that actually prompted me after somebody's, uh, a friend of mine's death. And um, so that's kind of what encouraged me to do it. Life is short. I mean, everybody has their their traumas, and at least that's what I tell myself. And didn't you overcome some sort of illness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> after that uh, deployment, not even a month later, and I was dating the person I was dating, I and this is, I don't even know anymore if this is the worst day of my life, but it's definitely has been. But um, I found out that I had cancer the same day that I found out that I was pregnant. And that day sucked. That whole winter, because it was in October, the fact that it was a month after my deployment, and you know, sometimes you didn't come out home from a deployment, not senior, it's never been other for a while you kind of just do things and mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of happened pretty fast so despite the fact that I knew who it belonged to I still had my boyfriend's friends having him question whether or not if and that sucks because I knew it was his but then having cancer and his dad died of cancer six months prior there's a lot of emotions and so I kind of forgot about my stalker for a little bit there to be reminded a few months later after my surgery, after I had to make a decision, cancer-free, by the way, that he was still there, that he was still watching me. So that that was not a fun... So tougher than your average bear. That's what made me think of it because you shared that with me on the phone. I know you said you wanted to mention it. And it's like, boom, one thing after another, after another, after another. Like, how did you even, how are you, like, how did you even do it? Like, how, what, how did you not just throw in the towel and say, fuck this, I'm out? Because I thought about suicide before, you know, when I was like, my like, what, what was it, mom? My house got robbed. I don't even know. It was like this trifecta of just f- 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 like the most fucked up things that could all happen at once, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's what life does to us sometimes, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? What's your message of strength? What's your... I absolutely positively thought about that more times than I want to admit. In fact, because of my experience when I was a kid, um, my first attempt was actually in middle school. And... Ever since then, I, I, I tried really hard to not make that be an option. But I think it was, I'm not going to lie, I think the last couple of years have been where those thoughts have creeped in on a repetitive basis. And in the last 12 months, I've attempted twice. And I hate to say that, but my trigger was unexpected because the last... I don't get into a lot of serious relationships. And the one I was in was, the last one I was in was that one. And then it was another one I was in this last year. And I wasn't anticipating all the triggers that were going to happen in this relationship. Mostly because I found out he's kind of a narcissist. (laughs) And I didn't see that coming because apparently, like, when you're a sympathetic type of person or Mm -hmm. empathetic person, as I've been called, you're an easy target for a narcissist. And so I gave him a lot of excuses and kind of, allowed myself to be that. So I didn't feel particularly strong in that relationship, especially afterwards when it ended. But he was actually away at Burning Man, that big oh. festival event in the desert in Nevada. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I would go for the art, but the non-showering and things kind of yeah, that would sounds be hard. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> but he went away for that, and that was the week where I just kind of broke down. And I attempted when there. I had people in my house. So... And they weren't aware, which was a realization for me of how deep that depression was. I wasn't alone. And even though he knew of all my things, he still acted in ways that just made it so, so much worse. So 
winners kind of just suck for me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, that we broke up and it was just a depression of just lots of realization and lots of like self-inflicted shame. And then I wanted to start this new year, brand new, and go in with my new, you know this new semester of school and just be like, I got this, I could do this. And at the end of January, beginning of February, it's when uh, my cousin, all my family's in Arizona. My cousin, who was 25, went missing, and his body was found in the desert. He was lured out there intentionally by being catfished. It was planned, and this person apparently, I guess the execution style, shot him in the back of the head and moved his body, burnt it, moved it again, and I guess he had intentions of moving it again. I'm not entirely sure. This is all just by what family has said, and from that, and being so just, I have, I, I tend to really visualize things, and maybe that's why I, I'm known as an empathetic person, because I can really feel things that I wish I didn't feel so deeply, and that hit me on a whole different level. And also, going to classes didn't help distract it, because one of my classes was like death and dying, which I dropped very soon after, because of the conversation I just couldn't handle. Another class was human sexuality, <laughs> which course talked about rape and another class talked about depression all this stuff and I thought okay like I, these are subjects that I do want to learn because I feel like even if I experienced it I still want to learn about it to educate myself about it yeah. I that's the type of person that I am it's kind of annoying actually <laughs> but I, get it. I, I ultimately just stopped going to school and I stopped being able to move because this wasn't just a death in a family this is somebody who was a good person his life was lost in the most unfair way possible. And through this depression and having my stalker suddenly come up on LinkedIn, every experience just kind of weighed in all at once. And I lost track of time. Like, you could have told me that it was still February when it may popped up. Like, I had no idea. Right. It wasn't until my younger brother, who was 10 when I went into the military, he's 20 now, came to visit for two months. He's super laid back, so watching TV and just stuff was great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but ultimately, before his arrival, that was the second time this past in the past 12 months. The reason why I'm still here is actually a very simple answer. It's my mom, because she has been there from the beginning of everything that's happened in the military. She is, and I feel, I know I've heard her through so much stress, but she's the first person I call when I'm in that breakdown mode and I am so close mm -hmm. to doing something that I don't want to do. But I'm so tired and I'm so exhausted. Well, my mom's here with us today and I just want to, every single time she has caught every tear of mine, she has, she's my heart and soul. Like I couldn't have gotten through any of this without her. And when I was sitting on my kitchen floor with a with a knife in my hand. It was four months after I first got my dog. My fiance died. My house got robbed. And I was from like very much where you are kind of like just recently. A mother is a unique way of healing our souls when we call them. And I'm so glad that you have a mom for that. I mean, dads are great. Nick's a good dad. <laughs> but in that moment, it's different. It's, it's just different. You know what I mean? And I, I can't imagine all of those things. How's the family doing after the loss of your cousin? Um, I think yesterday there was another court date for that guy. Yeah. I yeah. want to call him a guy because, you know, yeah. assuming that he's animal. a human or something. Yeah. 
but uh, I don't know much. You can call more. him a motherfucker if you want. It's fine. <laughs> I think Let I that was shit out. Calling yeah. a creature for a yeah. while there. A gross creature. There's a lot of things my entire family has called him, but at, for like a good month afterwards, like it kind of united us. But I love my family, most of them, <laughs> but they're still. A lot of ego involved, and there's a reason why I live so far away from home. I get it. Your, did your brother help you? You said when he came out, he was laid back. He helped you through. He's He was 20, so he doesn't really have experience enough to, right. like, confine me the couple of times when he was, when he first got there where I started to, like, kind of break down. But he did what I, I think anybody needs when he started to break down, was just sit there and listen. And he's a smart kid. He's... Annoyingly smart. I want to kind of like go on a tangent here, but he went. <laughs> I had a there's a cockroach that suddenly popped up on my counter, and I could handle spiders and most of the bugs, but cockroaches because they're disgusting. Dude, <laughs> my wife has to handle cockroaches. I cannot. I don't play that game. I can't do it. So when I was fortunate that this one big. To me, it was big. Cockroach come up and just happens to be when my brother's visiting. So I asked him, Scotty, can you get that for me? And he goes, actually, it's not that big. In some um, species, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Scotty, I swear to God, <laughs> just kill. Get it out of here. I don't care. <laughs> so. I feel your pain on that. I'd rather have Al-Qaeda in my house than a fucking cockroach. I can't, they're so gross. They're, they're so, so disgusting. Yeah, I, yeah, but... He um he was helpful in the way that he could be helpful. And also, too, like two months with my brother was the longest I spent with any family member in over 10 years. This is all by choice, too. The military is because I was stationed somewhere, but now at this point, it's by choice. Like, I got out in August 2013. It's September 2017. I could have moved back any time, but... No, you're staying. You're staying on the East Coast. I still have a lot of ambition. <laughs> I think maybe one, we're going to do a part two next time we come back and we're going to check up on you and see how you're doing. I want to stay in touch if you ever need anything. You have a friend in Pittsburgh. You have a lot of friends in Pittsburgh. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for being so brave today. You are a fucking certified badass, that's for sure. <laughs> Nick has such a great way of putting things. Can I put that on my resume? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick Grimes a proof certified fucking badass. <laughs> you could be a reference. So when Nicole, I'd be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> legit. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Longest War. If you like what you heard today, please like us, rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes, Blueberry, Google, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting apps. When we go off air, if you want us to tell us this guy's name, we'll fucking find this cat and make him disappear. We'll call friends in low places. Yeah. Cut his dick off. I'm okay with that. I got, I got dudes, buddies in the army, man. They went off the grid after they left service, man. They'll, serve, they'll do anything for the right price. <laughs> they'll taxiderm humans if you want. We got your back. Yeah. I appreciate sure. that. I really mean something to me. <laughs> we need to get you plugged in here yes. with the Michigan Continues with this platoon, man. Because this is, you saw these guys out there in the blue shirts. Like, this is a hundred guys and girls that will, like, no shit have your fucking back through the worst of it. And they're all vets. And they've all been through really rough times, too. So they can all relate, man, and be lean on each other you know what I mean yeah which would be nice uh, they're kind of hard to find putting on this blue shirt serving beside trusted veterans and serving your community 
just nothing. There's really, truly nothing like it. I'm not even blowing smoke up anyone's ass, you know? I mean, they're not, they're not paying me to say, talk about them or anything like that. There's no incentive. I truly mean it. And um, his wife is just a prime example of, like, she's just, like, as soon as she found out that I was a veteran and that I had applied for a felt, whatever she, she literally, under her wing, boom, I got you, let's do this. And this is a dependent, this is a dependent, like a, a wife of a veteran. You know what I mean? It's just the power of this, of this blue shirt, we call it like a blue, the power of this blue shirt community is the most powerful force I have felt since leaving the military. And, and, and that's no joke. So if you need someone to trust, yeah. seriously. And the great thing about it too you. is it, it, through its design, weeds out the pieces of shit, right? It really because does. if you're a fucking narcissistic fucking dickhead, like you're not going to spend your Saturday like helping inner city community like poor people you don't give a fuck about them right so it's like only people that like you would want to be friends with show up to this kind of stuff that's good it's solid yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep you Maybe on our we radar should, we should charge them for all the nice shit we've been saying about <laughs> we probably should. Maybe we should make them a sponsor or something <laughs>